Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Our scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, verses 11 through 19. I invite you, if you feel so led, to turn with me in your own Bible or in the Bible found there in the pew in front of you, or even from your mobile device. Whichever is the best way for you to receive God's word today, I invite you to do so. Again, Ruth chapter 1, verses 11 through 19. Hear now these words. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning once again. I'm Pastor Corey, the Associate Minister here. And this morning we are actually wrapping up our sermon series, Incoming Call. Uh, as this coming week we transition liturgically into the season of Lent. Wednesday is Ash Wednesday and it begins a 40-day journey. Lent is a season in which we are called to deepen our relationship with God. We're called to reflect. We are called to pay attention. We are called to prepare as we journey toward the hope of Easter. We take time to ponder how much we desperately need to encounter Jesus as Jesus is the one who comes to save us from all we cannot save ourselves from. Lent calls us to meet Jesus. And as we anticipate Ash Wednesday, we're reminded that today in our church year is Transfiguration Sunday. 
And the story of the transfiguration is detailed in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the story details Jesus' transfiguration before James, John, and Peter on a mountain. And on the mountain, Jesus' face shines like the sun, and his clothes become dazzling white. Moses and Elijah, they join him. They represent the law and the prophets. And a voice from heaven declares Jesus as the beloved son of God. In this moment, Jesus' identity, his divinity, is revealed to us once again. And God reminds us who Jesus is. Who Jesus is and that we should listen to him, that we should follow him. And that segues us in to the season of Lent. So as we prepare for that season, the last several weeks we've been exploring this theme of call. I have, Pastor Adam has, Haley, our new youth director has, and Corey, our worship leader, have all shared their experience of the ways that Christ has been revealed to them. How Christ has made himself known to each of us, and we've shared and witnessed to those moments when Christ became real. And not only did we see Jesus, but seeing Jesus transformed us. And so today, as we conclude our series, we have invited our church council chair, Lynn Dickinson, to share her story of how God has revealed God's self to her and the ways that those encounters have transformed her. As you heard Pastor Adam read just a few moments ago, Lynn resonates with the story of Ruth in scripture. A story that I've had the privilege of preaching on at least four times at Orange. So I am incredibly relieved that it is Lynn you're going to hear from this morning and not me. But I pray that as you hear Lynn speak in her words and believe me, you will be blessed. As you hear the power of her witness, I pray that God might reveal God's self to you in a new way today. Thank you, Corey, and thank you for this opportunity. It is a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, again, my name is Lynn, Lynn Dickinson. Uh, it has been my pleasure and privilege to be part of Orange United Methodist for almost 15 years now. In that time, I have been able to serve as a preschool Sunday school teacher, a crosswired elementary teacher, a high school Sunday school teacher, a small group leader. <laughs> uh, I play um, backup guitar, I say, in the worship band at Pathways for almost a decade. I really should be better at that by now. <laughs> but I've been able to participate musically in worship with them for years. Um, I also get the opportunity to serve communion sometimes and maybe share announcements or, or read scripture. Uh, I even, a few years, several years ago, I uh, was able to travel with a team from this church to serve in Kenya for a period of time. So it's been a remarkable community of faith to be part of and to be present with in so many ways uh, over these last many years. So. And as Corey said, this year I do have the opportunity to serve as your church council chair. So you might see some emails from me in the juice. It'll happen. <laughs> but anyway, it's funny, you know, we're talking about answering God's call on our lives. And I can remember being a very young girl, profoundly moved by the story of Christ's suffering and crucifixion and resurrection. 
I had what we would sometimes call the come to Jesus moment when I was nine years old. But growing up in a Baptist church, I didn't tell anyone for years <laughs> because I didn't want to get baptized. I had drowned when I was young, and so I'm, pho it's, I'm phobic about water. It's this whole thing. Anyway, I was begging my parents to please let us be Methodist instead. <laughs> I heard that they uh, sprinkled instead of dunked, and that sounded so much more appealing to me. Uh, anyway, so I proudly stand before you this morning to testify that miracles can happen and dreams really do come true. <laughs> so when Corey asked me if I would share how I found my place in God's story, I didn't hesitate. My only question was how much time do I have? <laughs> because I have a lot of stories. Now, you might look at me now or in other interactions that we have in our time together and, and see me as this persistent wellspring of joy. Well, that's true. But I also have some stories. I have stories of being an orphan, of living in poverty, surviving abuse, surviving cancer, stories about losing my job, of, of losing loved ones, and losing my way. I'm a woman well acquainted with grief, but I'm also well acquainted with delight because today I can recognize those shimmering strands of grace and deliverance woven throughout all of my stories. But before they were stories, when they were my daily strife, those strands were hard to see. Now, our scripture this morning, thank you, Adam, tells a familiar story of Ruth and Naomi. But I want to go back just a little bit, just a few verses before that reading. In verses 4 and 5 of the same chapter, we get a couple of little nuggets of information. We get a small detail that Naomi's sons got married, and then they all lived in Moab for another 10 years or so before the sons both died. Now, there's so little information there, we don't even know which son went with which daughter, okay? It's so easy to just blitz right past that into this juicy part of the story where Ruth follows Naomi and then in comes Boaz. And then we've got the you know, lineage of Christ and all that good stuff. But I want to slow us down. I want us to pause for just a few minutes and imagine Imagine the life and the love that Ruth and her husband, Naomi's son, must have had. There's got to be so much more to their decade together than could be captured in just a couple of verses. And that is where the story I've chosen to share with you begins today. Now, I met Ben Sapol on a rainy Saturday in early February at University Mall. Of course, those of you who've been in Chapel Hill long enough know, may remember what I'm talking about, that historical artifact, which is now, I don't know what it is now. <laughs> anyway, all those things. Anyway, at the time, <laughs> he was uh, this especially handsome and charming man who was a little surprised but not discouraged by my disinterest. Um, eventually, uh, he was very persuasive, and I did agree to go out with him. And our first date was actually the day after Valentine's Day. Convenient, because he was able to purchase half-price flowers and chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> 
He was really always frugal. <laughs> but anyway, he kept the half-price flowers and chocolate in his car during the date, just in case it didn't go so well. Or maybe in case it did. Anyway, the date went very well. We were both captivated. And afterwards, he gave me the chocolate and the flowers and a kiss on my head. And before long, we gave each other our hearts. We were quite a pair. <laughs> Those of you who had a chance to meet Ben uh, may remember, and if you didn't, I, how do I describe? He brought this energy and enthusiasm into every encounter. It's like you could practically see these electric sparks just pulsing out of his skin. I, on the other hand, was steady and patient. I anchored him, and he elevated and expanded me. After a little over a year together, Ben was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And I remember being in that hospital room at UNC, trying to process the implications of that diagnosis, and Ben telling me very clearly that I didn't have to do this. That he understood I had my daughter to think about, and as much as we loved each other, neither of us saw cancer coming into our picture. He was not going to ask me to walk with him through this journey. He said, you didn't sign up for it. You don't have to do it. And I knew he wasn't alone. I mean, his brother was there with us. His mother was on the way. And he was a man with myriad friends across the country and across the globe who would absolutely happily have come in to his aid. So I had a choice. And there was no shame or obligation on either side of that choice. Now, I had no way of knowing what was actually coming or what the extents of my future might hold, and what our future would hold. But I want to read you an excerpt of something that we actually shared at our wedding. <clears throat> we cannot control the future any more than we can change the past. The only moments we can touch are the ones before us right now. I cannot change the future, but every moment, in this moment, and now this one, and now this one, I will love you. I think that's a choice we all get, to choose to love in this moment, and this one, and now this one. I chose to love, I chose to stay. I chose to partner with a man greater than any I have known, to discover a love more magnificent than I could have imagined, and to endure a suffering and a loss more difficult than I could fathom. If you have been or currently are a caregiver, I salute you, I lift you up, and ask God to shine his face on you because shepherding any life to its final transition is difficult and beautiful and holy. But to shepherd a life like his, one so pulsing with vitality and intensity, to have to facilitate so many goodbyes and to shoulder the stunned grief of so many 
beloveds. I had no way of knowing all of that. But even if I did, I would choose it again. Because grief is not the end of our story. Now, in our passage today, Ruth and Naomi were grieving. Perhaps like me, Ruth had lost the man she believed was the greatest love of her life. We sometimes wonder, why exactly did Ruth go with Naomi? Why not return to her own people like her sister-in-law did? Like Naomi actually practically shouted at her to do. I mean, she had to basically defy her mother-in-law in order to stay with her mother-in-law. <laughs> now, we have the benefit of the rest of the book to tell us God's plan in all of this. We can see the early shimmers of deliverance and purpose and grace. But what could Ruth see? If none of that future were visible to Ruth, why did she choose to stay and to follow Naomi into a strange land? Well, I can't know the answer. But from my own life and experience, I like to think it was because of the way she loved her husband and the way he loved her as well. That staying with and caring for his mother was perhaps a way of honoring him, of somehow together being able to keep some part of him near for one another. Now Ben's mom and I had very little time to get to know one another before cancer showed up and blurred the edges of our lives. And after he died, she had a choice too. She could have turned to me and said, thanks for everything, good luck out there. Uh, but instead, she chose to graft me into her fold, and we became her own. What's especially incredible to me about this is that Ben grew up in a family that is Jewish and urban and worldly, and I grew up in a family that was Christian and rural and fundamentalist even. And by the time Ben died, my biological parents had died and my adoptive parents had died. So I truly was a woman without a people. And here was this Jewish mother aching for the loss of her own child, opening her heart and her life to this child of another faith in desperate need of a mother. Now remember, I told you, grief is not the end of our story. Grief was not the end of Ruth and Naomi's story either. They go on to live years of life together as friends, as mother and daughter. Because we can trace the lineage of Jesus Christ through Ruth and Boaz, it is not an exaggeration to say that together, Naomi and Ruth were literally altering the course of human history. <laughs> well, I might not be altering the course of humanity or anything, but I can say that Judy, Ben's mom, is my favorite person in the world. Next to my daughter, of course. <laughs> I'm told that the feeling is mutual because I'm the only person in the world that she doesn't complain about. <laughs> we talk almost daily. We share holidays and travel and stories and, and recipes and all the little details that make up our lives. We are indelibly woven together. And where she goes, 
I will go. Where she stays, I will stay. Her people are my people, and not even death will separate us. Judy often says that the very best thing that Ben ever gave her was me. And sometimes I wonder, what if, what if this was the heart of the story all along? What if the greatest love of my life wasn't the one I married, but the one I clung to after? And we have not, and we cannot, fill the void that we feel in losing Ben. But we have learned that love is so much bigger than a single void. It stretches up and over and beside and beneath and far, far beyond the void so that we are not consumed by our loss, but instead find that it is a gentle presence in a full and vibrant life that shimmers. If you are walking in shadows or feeling lost in a void today, I want to remind you that a love greater than you can fathom surrounds you. That whatever the future holds in this moment, and this one, and now this one, you are loved. Thank you. Thank you, Lynn. We are so grateful for your leadership, for your spirit, your witness, your story, your vulnerability. You are so incredibly gifted, and we are glad that you are ours. You belong here. And as Lynn mentioned, she will be our church council chair this year, and I am excited and inspired by not only the wisdom she brings, but by her sheer joy. As you have borne witness to Lynn's story, I pray that you might be inspired or moved to find people that God calls you to cling to, to be family for, to be a place of belonging for, and community. That's the beauty of the church. We know that the church is facing so many challenges, and that less and less folks find this hour to be beneficial to their day-to-day lives. But when you have been carried in the darkest night by the light of a community that loves you for no other reason but for their love of God, and when you have the opportunity to be part of a miracle of carrying someone for no other reason than for your love of God, this place makes more sense than anything you will ever know. Lynn, thank you for clinging to us. We will continue to cling to you. And I pray we cling to one another. May we go where God is leading us with one another. Let us pray. Holy God, just as Ruth clung to Naomi, help us to cling to one another as a community. May we embrace each other in times of joy and sorrow, offering support, encouragement, and understanding along life's path. Grant us the grace to be like Ruth, to be like Lynn, willing to walk alongside one another through the valleys and the mountaintops. And in our moments of doubt or uncertainty, may we find reassurance in the bonds of friendship and fellowship that unite us. Guide us at Orange to be a community that clings, that reflects your love and grace to all who are in need. In the name of Jesus Christ, our faithful companion and friend. 
Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.